It's time to go live at Lucian Live 2022 in Denver, Colorado, April 10th through 13th at the Denver Convention Center. Discover the innovative solutions, transformative insights, and strong connections to help you lead through change. Register at elucian.com slash Live and catch Elvin and I recording on-site live. We can't wait to see all of you. It's time. Welcome back, everybody. It's your time to Ed Up on the Ed Up Experience podcast, where we make education your business. I'm, you might hear a little bit of an echo if you are listening today. I'm in a, um, a transitioned now out to uh, my new opportunity at Lindenwood University Global, and they have me um, here in Missouri, and I'm staying in a house. There's nothing in this house. Um, it's a beautiful house, but there's nothing in it it's on the walls to, to take the sound, uh, to pad the sound. So it might be a little echoey. Um, with that said, I am always excited um, when I have both a first-time guest co-host and a first-time guest, uh, which is uh, who we have on this episode, and we're going to have a great conversation. I'm going to I'm going to um, remind everybody though before I bring in my guest host to head to edupexperience.com. You guys check out our um, excuse me check out our uh, categories. You can find what you want to listen to, and don't forget to go to commencementthebook.com. You can check out the book that we are writing um, that's going to take all of these amazing insights from everybody we've interviewed and put them into a, 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 a smaller, <laughs> if you want to go listen to 370 episodes, you could do that or you could read the book and hopefully take all these uh, great themes and issues and problems and solutions and put them into something that uh, you can consume rather quickly. And um, speaking of somebody, uh, speaking of quickness, I've got a, a, a person with me as my guest co-host today. He is quick. He's, uh, he's sharp. He's fast. And he's the senior vice president, all right? Senior vice president at Dignity Global Health Education. Here he is. Jeffrey Roach. What's happening? Thank How are you? Thank you. Good. I'm doing well, Joe. How are you doing? Good. Did you know you were going to get an applause today? I did know I was going to get an applause like that. That's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's all for you, my friend. And how, how are you feeling about your first time guest co-hosting gig here with me today? I'm excited. Um, you know, obviously, congratulations to you on your uh, awesome new opportunity. Thank you. I appreciate that. And uh, it's been a, a pretty wild uh, couple of days. I, I drove all the way from uh, I drove from California all the way to Missouri. It was a, a long uh, a set of days because there's not much to look at once you hit the eastern side of Colorado to Missouri. It's kind of a, a, a blank canvas, if you will. Um, but but thank you very much. And, you know, I'm excited to have you here. You know, why don't you just real briefly what, tell us for everybody that's listening, what is Dignity Health Global Education? Sure. Yeah. So Dignity Health Global Education, um, by the name, obviously, folks, you know, as you know, know Dignity Health extremely well on the West Coast. Yep. Um, and actually, Dignity Health as a healthcare system uh, is, is a co-founder of Dignity Health Global Education. Um, and we uh, essentially are, you know, really at the uh, cusp of being an intermediary between higher education and healthcare. And so we, we really um, are passionate and pa uh, specialized around working with healthcare organizations and systems to bring together the right academic partners to deliver solutions that meet the needs of healthcare today and tomorrow. Um, and so, you know, we have entities like, you know, Pepperdine, entities like Duke, um, University of Arizona, among others that we partner with to develop healthcare uh, certificates primarily, but we also have some degree partners as well to deliver programs that meet the needs of, of healthcare leaders, but also just healthcare professionals. 
Well, what a time to be in healthcare, right? It's crazy. Um, healthcare professionals have, are it just at a, at a premium, and everybody's getting sick with uh, Omicron right now. And we're gonna bring in, um, we're gonna bring our guest. He's probably got a lot to say about healthcare education uh, in the state of California, and um, you know what students are after in terms of programs these days. I want to tell you guys that this uh, gentleman we're about to interview is um, amazing. And here he here he is, ladies and gentlemen. His name is Ken Culkin. He's president at Paralendra College. Amazing. What's up, Ken? Yeah, I don't know about that intro. I kind of like the, 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 the applause better, but... Uh... Well, uh, here you go. <laughs> Ken Culkin, Paralendra <laughs> College. We can do it again. We can keep trying as many sound effects as you want, Ken, until we find one you like. That, that would be plenty. I, so, um, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just kidding. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Welcome. I'm very happy to be on. I um, why, why don't you set the stage for us, Ken? Tell us about Paralandra College. Where is the college located? What kind of programs you guys have? How long it's been there? Just you know, do your thing. Well, we are um, we are really have nothing to do with healthcare education. I'm sorry to say, because it's a great field, and also those universities you mentioned. I used to teach at the University of Arizona, and my my wife um, is a now teaching at Pepperdine. So um, I respect them very much. Um, what we are though is um, a very small college. We're, we're specializing, um, we used to specialize in, in writing. We, we, we were founded 20 years ago, this coming June actually. My, Pam and I had spent a few years teaching in a Christian college and we had become sorely discouraged by the quality of contemporary Christian arts creative writing in particular, that was our field. So with enthusiastic encouragement of some students and other people we, we who were looking for graduate programs, we decided to, to found one to create a school. So we began with the support of a small church and one most generous donor. But after the five years it took us to get state approval and national accreditation, the pastor of our church moved away, the church disbanded and that most generous donor of ours died without you know any leaving us any great amount of money so when we earned accreditation this status didn't guarantee us access to federal grants or loans but but um so we you know we kind of struggled along keeping our tuition quite low because that was one of the things we wanted to do we didn't want to saddle artists with uh student loans and um then some months before our, our renewal, our five-year renewal, I was informed that accreditation and approval to access federal student aid were going to become sort of integrated, which meant the Department of Education would get more strict on accreditors, especially about financial issues, which in turn made accreditors more concerned about the financial issues, financial status of the colleges they accredited. And though we had grown, we weren't able to meet their new definition of financial security. So we let go of accreditation and, and that's pretty much where we are now. We're still trying to find our way back to a, to a place that is financially um, feasible. Mm. Well, you know, I, first of all, I love that you just told me you have nothing to do with healthcare when I, you know, I said that you did, then you just gave it to me right from the beginning, which I, which is awesome. But I, but I, you know, the reason I bring up healthcare and the reason I want to connect the, um, 
the, the connect the dots here is because you know education is um, first of all it's in my opinion very valuable but we we are higher education professionals in general teaching people how to be better people and that has never been more important than it is now um, as we have you know, people from all industries you know <laughs> getting sick and helping others survive and so on tell us what you teach and how it helps people and students become better people. Well, thank you for that question. It, um, as I said, we, we were quite discouraged. I could give you a whole background about the, what has happened with um, Christian arts. It's like since the 1950s, they've been sort of taken over by certain um, players in the evangelical churches, particularly well, I don't want to name any 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 anybody, but um, that they they at a point they they took over the sort of the publishing side of of Christian Christian books, what they call it. And for a long time, there were these Christian bookstores, and and uh, the churches were pushing these certain books, and they all became very predictable and very, um, I guess, tame because they they were looking more for inspiration and for people to um, you know, believe more strongly the same things that they were teaching at the churches. And uh, you know, we we are above all else, we're 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 educators and we want to we want people to live in ways that uh, that uh, can make them wiser and to to examine their lives more closely and to look look more closely at the truth and not um necessarily at, at what somebody else is telling them we want you know critical thinking is very important to us and for instance when we taught at this christian college they they would give these little talks about you know about um critical thinking about teaching critical thinking within our classes but then at the same time they would tell us the dogma that they wanted to be held to now i never have understood how you could you could have critical thinking be predicated on, on a certain dogma so we wanted to try to open things up and make people think for themselves which i believe is healthier and uh, makes people's lives not only more worth living for themselves but also for the whole community yeah thank you for that and you know jeff i want to jeffrey i want to bring you in now because you are you know um, one of the uh, one of the i don't know arguments and i'm going to have ken respond and, and first tell me what you think, though, but one of the arguments around higher ed is, is connection to jobs and certain programs out there, liberal arts based programs, um, you know, programs that teach, uh, you know, skills that are less direct to job are really a question and in, in, in question of value. What do you think about that? And then Ken, uh, tell me uh, after Jeff uh, gives his, Jeffrey gives his, uh, uh, you know, 411, uh, tell me what you think. Right. Yes. So, so Joe, thank you for that. And, and, you know, let me just say that I am a student uh, of the liberal arts. And so um, maybe that makes me biased, uh, but I've also had the privilege, you know, of working in higher education uh, at first at a liberal arts uh, college, and then also at a STEM university. And, you know, I'll just say this, I, I think without question, a liberal arts uh, education, uh, in my opinion, based on what I've seen uh, also in hiring people throughout my career, it, it really does provide you what I would consider a mind, body, spirit approach to education. 
And so I don't, I don't care what, what industry says in terms of, of skills, but when you really get down to it, you will truly see that individuals that come out of a liberal arts background with critical thinking, uh, with, you know, the evaluation skills to really understand, you know, is this, is this fact or fiction? Um, and also, you know, that, that hunger and desire to always want to learn more from my vantage point, a liberal arts uh, degree and a liberal arts program when done right are, are superb and supreme. Mm, what do you think about that, Ken? Yeah, well, obviously, I, I agree with, with, with that completely. But um, as I mentioned, my daughter goes to MIT, and I'm, I'm quite a fan of, you know, I encouraged her to do that, because that's where her, you know, her calling seems to lie. She's just always been good at, at you know, math and sciences and things, and, and completely the opposite of her mother and father. But, but um, at the same time, I, I am a little bit wary. I try to encourage her to take other classes while she's at that college and you know and they're, they're good I mean I, I don't mean to cast any aspersions on on that college they've, they've been wonderful to us and wonderful to her and they do require a lot of a lot of courses in the liberal arts so I, I don't mean to object to anybody um, you know stressing stem but but I but I do think that technological um, advances in our culture have become like what the culture is is largely all about and and that's very dangerous because you know any any field of science that has any possibility of doing damage as whether as as well as um you know as doing positive things you need people to back off a little bit and say well wait a minute this this is maybe not uh the only thing we should live for is to is to make better widgets and make more money. So, that I think people should be. My, you know, my other daughter, my elder daughter. I think one of the greatest things that that she's ever done, and um, and she's done a lot of great things. But she started a school with the district. She's an administrator at Arizona in a school district, and she started a school that in which the students were required to get a credential in a, in a vocational field, as well as a credential in, I'm sorry, as well as the, uh, the preparation for admission to the University of Arizona. And, you know, to me, that was like what everybody ought to do. They, everybody ought to, be, ought to be taught STEM subjects and, you know, and, uh, and liberal arts subjects and social science subjects and just all the way around, they ought to be taught how to how to balance books and how to, you know, how to deal with employers and and there are a lot of things in in the world that are not covered in in um, in every academic program. So I'm just you know when when we are part of what we were, were have always been about is is simply introducing people to ideas that they may not otherwise get or to to, to introduce them to us, to them in other ways. We, we've kind of segued into a, um, where we're about Christian wisdom. And, and the only thing that the, the Christian thing about us is that um, we, you know, we do believe in, 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 in Christ and his mess, message, but we don't want to force anybody to, to follow that. We don't want to be dogmatic or require anything. We just want people to be awakened to some, to a lot of the wisdom that's come out of Christianity. And, and if we, if, if the school were to grow, 
we would probably, um, I mean, I'm sure we would want to bring in other other wisdom curricula, you know, for wisdom of the East and wisdom of Aboriginal peoples and, you know, all kinds of things that that might awaken us to what it's, what it, the whole spectrum of, of living is about. Well, Ken, this is, um, you, you, if you've been listening, as you said, to the Epic Experience, you know that we like to ask a curveball question or two around here. Are you ready? Yep. That's my transition music. And, and Jeffrey, since he's a first-time guest co-host, he has to answer a question, too. So, Ken, the question to you, well, let me, let me say, Jeffrey, the question to you is going to be uh, first, uh, uh, you go after Ken, but the question is, so you could start thinking about it is what is the dream vacation that you haven't taken during COVID that you need to take when, when you actually can travel somewhere. And Ken, of course, you know, you know, we're going to ask you, what's your entrance music? What's that song that plays in your living room when you walk in or at graduation at commencement? What's the song that introduces you? That would be, um, J Jimi Hendrix playing the Star Spangled Banner. How do you like that? Why do you choose that? Because I um, I have a series of novels coming out in in January that are it's called For America and it's 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 a baseball uh, main character is a baseball player. I, I love it. I love that you chose Jimi Hendrix. That's ridiculously awesome. Um, of course, the 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 guitar skills are almost unrivaled. Uh, he was amazing. Yeah, you can find it on uh, YouTube, by the way, and it's it's just quite an experience just to listen to it now. Well, that gives you, uh, Jeffrey, let's hear about this dream vacation. Yeah, so um, my family and I love to do cruises, which obviously have not happened uh, during the pandemic. Um, but in terms of a dream vacation, um, you know, I'd probably say I've always talked about wanting to go uh, to Dubai. Um, and so, you know, there's definitely an aspect of, of that that I would love to do. Um, I also had friends who just recently went to Jordan and their pictures looked amazing. Um, so, you know, something like that, something definitely outdoors um, and, uh, you know, something that would be pretty exotic. The Ed Up Experience podcast, where we make education your business. Hey, everybody, head over to www.edupexperience.com our website where you're going to find all of the episodes that we've recorded categorized so that you can ensure that you're spending your time listening to the podcasts that are most important to you. You're going to see the reviews of our podcast, the shows in our network, our partners, and a section on starter episodes. If you're new to the EdUp experience, listen to those starter episodes and get a feel for how the podcast has evolved over time and our impact in the world. www.edupexperience.com. Jeff, jump in. Any questions you have? Yeah, um, Ken, I was curious, you know, I was looking through, um, you know, books that were recommended. And obviously, you're, you know, your point there uh, spoke out to me so clearly, uh, because what, what, when I looked through all the books that were recommended, many of them were, were actually books we had to read at Moravian as undergrad students. Um, and so, you know, I'm curious from your perspective, uh, when you look at faith-based higher education, uh, today in the United States, what what other institutions would you consider to be your peer academic institutions? Well, you know, I I I really wish I could answer that, but I don't know of any of them that are even in the least bit like us. And a lot of that has to do with um, 
with uh, the size of the colleges and and their accreditation and such. There there are there there we I've been we've been wrestling with this accreditation business for longer than I care to think. And um, right now there is no you know I, there was a an accreditor called AC when was it American Council for the Accreditation of Independent Colleges and they got they pretty much got blackballed recently because they were given away accreditation to institutions that didn't deserve it apparently but they were they were the only ones that i could think that we really fit with because the, the if you look at the the christian accreditors they they all um require that you have this certain this certain dogmatic um background and a certain you, you know you have to sign documents saying that you find their their you know their mission statement to be to be accurate and that you'll follow it and i just i don't want to do that i i don't want to have to try to get our students to become um obligated or 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 even bend toward any particular dogma with within you know although obviously we're trying to teach a lot of christian faith we don't want to we don't want to make anybody become a Presbyterian or a Calvinist or a whatever they're, they're, they're sort of being taught at these other colleges. Well, you know, Ken, it, it's, it's interesting because, um, you know, as you were talking earlier when we first started, uh, to Joe's point, I immediately reflected on my uh, earlier part of my career when I was a hospital administrator for nine years. And, um, you know, obviously at a hospital, we had pastoral care and we had social work and, um, you know, I worked actually incredibly close with our with our chaplain uh, in a number of areas, particularly when we had a lot of tragedies, not just patients, but also in the community, because we felt that we were an anchor of the community and it was our responsibility uh, to be there in support uh, in, and in love uh, for one another. But one of the situations that rang a bell for me was uh, we had Reiki uh, and we had a complementary and medical arts therapist program, uh, which probably, you know, in some ways even relates a little bit to, to some of what you talked about your, your teaching. Um, and for us, you know, this was a program that our patients loved. Uh, it was a program that for some patients, it was actually the only source of, uh, of I don't want to say healing, because obviously, you know, for, for some people, only, only Jesus can heal um, truly. But, but in this situation, uh, there, were definitely, there, was, there was definitely aspects of people feeling better um, and giving them a, a source of comfort and care. And I will never forget uh, the day on the front page of our newspaper, uh, a pastor uh, happened to be of, an, of, an, of a certain church, uh, attacked us. Um, and I can remember uh, our CEO calling me up, who, who was a very religious person herself. And she said to me, she said, how dare him? And I said, well, Thanks. you know, he probably went to, uh, you know, a, a different university, of which I won't say. Um, and, and he has a very different view of this. I said, but you know what? In, in a Christian way, let's have a discussion with him. And she said, are you kidding? I said, oh yeah. I said, let's have a discussion with him. And I said, I scheduled it uh, along with our chaplain. Uh, and we discussed how, how you know, we were doing this for our patients. We weren't in any way pushing some say satanic as we were accused element, but it was really, really interesting how, uh, you know, a church pastor was attacking a hospital on the front page without first coming to us and discussing it. Yeah, yeah I, I wish I could tell you how, um how um easily i can i can um, identify with that because 
well, I don't even want to get into it because it brings in a certain college. But there are many times that we have encountered, you know, I, I've been in um, educa higher education for about 50 years and it's, um, and, and I run into a lot of situations where, you know, that where people are supposed to do a certain thing. They're supposed to act in a, you know, in a Christian way. They're supposed to act like civil human beings when they're academics and, and found, found very, very uh, often that they, they don't act the way they're supposed to. And so I, you know, I certainly appreciate that. And I also appreciate that other person jumping in and saying, you know, how, how dare they do this? But, you know, it is something, it is, it is very Christian to say that, um, I will say this, that the situation I was, you know, not really at, at liberty to talk about was, became, was about a, um, somebody teaching something in a class that was at a Christian university that um, was really very non-threatening to any, any kind of faith. And it was, it was more of an issue of um, what you might call political correctness at this point, because it had to do with, you know, with some what is and what isn't um, um, proper in a classroom. And, and uh, the, the student went and complained directly to the dean and the dean then consulted with somebody else. And then they, they brought in the instructor, the, the professor and uh, just absolutely um, tore her apart and um, relieved her of her duty just like that without even consulting with anybody when you know this is a biblical college supposedly and and they have um you know and it's very clear in the bible in one of paul's epistles that when something a dispute comes up you're supposed to take it to the person you have a dispute with and then and then there's a whole whole series of steps you're supposed to go through before you would take it to any authority and you see that hop not happening. There's, there's so that's one of the things that we are, you know, we would love to see um, have more students to be able to to uh, clarify to them is that that there are so many things that are that are considered Christian, you know, behavior that are absolutely not, and in in any way justifiable by what you would read in the scriptures. Ken, do you think, let me jump in and ask you, do you think that a school with a religious affiliation can survive in today's higher education environment? Because it's really competitive out there. And, you know, one of the areas where people have predicted that some colleges may face, you know, you know, the odds are against them, so to speak, are schools that, <clears throat> excuse me, that have a religious affiliation because it's not as desired as it used to be. You know, people aren't, um, you know, as interested. Uh, some are, some aren't, but it, there don't seem to be as many that are looking for the religiously based education. And for those that are, there are some really big players out there, uh, online schools that are doing, you know, really, you know, scaling that, that, um, you know, Christian based uh, learning, but doing it at, at scale. How do you feel, you know, what do you see as the future of, of religious based education? And, you know, can you survive these, you know, really difficult times for higher ed? Well, my, you know, if I if I had anything to do that would change the change the, um, 
you know, the landscape, it would be to try to make it easier for those schools to survive. And one of one of the um, probably the big I see in the first place, I, I'm not really interested in what's going on in um, in large institutions, not not because it doesn't matter, but because that's just not the arena I'm trying to work in. And I'm very much a fan of small colleges. And uh, I would love to see there be more startups of small colleges. And I think for for a college to survive, there's a there's a um, like if you go with the creditors when, when we had a problem with um, our creditor, it was because the 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 game had changed when when the the um, finance when this federal financial aid became in entrenched with the with the accreditation system and so the the accreditors were forced to um, make the colleges put up bonds of i don't know minimum of a hundred thousand dollars and and uh it's a lot of money i mean it's a really a lot of money for us for a small college can almost not survive just by without you know do, doing voluntarily teaching with without um yeah, that happens. Just to clarify for for everybody, that happens when, you know, the the as a result of many of the college closures, the for profit schools in the two thousand tens, you know, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, the federal government, um, and you know, for financial aid, is requested that some schools put up a letter of credit, to um, to really shield against closing. If a school closes, they the federal government wants to have money in reserve. That they can, uh, it, you know, basically alleviate the debt of the the current students. So that's why that happened. Just for the audience, if anybody was wondering what what you were talking about there, Ken. Right. Yeah, I understand that. But um, but the thing the thing to me is that the the tie in of um, of uh, federal financial aid with with the um, you know with the accreditation process is unfortunate. I mean, when when I started college, the the it, it wasn't like that. It was um, there was no financial aid. I, I think it maybe it came in the second or third year I was an undergraduate, and ever since then, the states and other you know other financing entities have fallen out of the business, and it it has um, gone over to you know to to the federal government. So, which essentially comes back to the students, and then the students. I have my daughter that I mentioned that this administrator she. She never, I paid for her college all the way through undergraduate. And then she took out some loans to get her master's degree and her credential. And she's, um, you know, it's been at least 20 years and she's still paying off her student loans. And, and she's in Arizona, so she doesn't make as much money as administrators elsewhere. So, you know, it's, it's just very, very unfortunate, the whole student loan thing. And what it has done, I believe, is to, um, is to, um, to, well, to make that and an accreditation become entwined is just not not correct. I mean, if there were creditors, for instance, that would just, you know, credit somebody because accreditation was originally supposed to be about quality of education and not about the school's finances, which is largely what it's about now. I just read an article the other day. I'm, I'm sorry, I don't mean to go on and on, but I read an article that... Uh, um, in about that North Norfolk College, I believe it was, or Norwalk College, in I believe Connecticut, and they had um, were 
you know, we're looking at at uh, being being accredited by the, I guess, the New England regional creditors, and and um, it mentioned that it would be four years or five years for them to even get accredited. Well, in the meantime, they're supposed to be um, surviving, and they they have some connections at Broadway and stuff that apparently are because it was a school of performing arts. I'm sorry. Hmm. Um, but, but if they don't have that, you know, what are they going to do? So you have a small college of liberal arts or a small college of, uh, you know, that's uh, like us. And, 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 and what, you know, we can't, we can't afford to pay the cost that somebody of a larger college would pay. And we can't afford to wait those five years and without having students. Ken, you know, it, it, it's interesting um, to, to Joe's question, because, you know, having attended a, a you know, university that, um, you know, certainly had a, had a faith-based connection, uh, it wasn't outrightly in the same way that so many other, uh, or I shouldn't say so many, that's, that some uh, push it, but obviously Moravian, you know, Moravian is a faith and is a, is a community. I would certainly describe it as a very loving Christian community, um, but you know, one of the things I think that's interesting is that for faith-based institutions or those that have any element of alignment that I've started to see many and many of them do is to look at how you integrate the faith aspects, whether that's mission, whether that's service, uh, whether that's, you know, love for thy neighbor, you know, through service or whatever, into all the other aspects of degree programs. Um, and so, you know, at Moravian, even, uh, even for me, I was a political science student. Uh, because I love politics, um, and some people are like, "Oh my gosh!" But but I do, and so you know, for us, uh, we looked at the religious aspects of political science, and so you know, we still had elements uh, like that that still brought in really, in my opinion, critical aspects of of what was a powerful liberal arts um, education. And so I've also seen some that are really making sure they think about the human centered aspects to certain you know careers. Um, you know, healthcare is a good one. Uh, it's all about humans, yet in many ways we've we've uh, forgotten some aspects of how we truly support humanity uh, within healthcare, and we've gotten away from doing some of that. And so it's interesting from, from that end how important it is that we align faith uh, with so many other aspects, because faith in itself aligns with every other academic degree. Yeah, I, I very much agree with that. Um, and, you know, and, and we, we, we would just like to be able to, to um, pursue that without being, without having to be, um, I guess, pressured to, you know, to have, to have to pay so much expenses just to play in that ball game. And that's why, that's why I disagree with the, with the uh, financial aid aspect of accreditation. Because I, I think it just, it makes the cost go up. So, so, um, you know, strong astronomically that that there have um, that that it becomes almost impossible and, and to 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 deal with, and the um, and so consequently, if there are other small institutions that want to do what we have tried to do, or not necessarily even in in the Christian realm or any kind of any kind of uh, faith based realm, but just in liberal arts or or whatever that isn't a, um, you know, isn't a uh, a program that they can graduate people with um, you know vocational degrees that 
what are they going to do? You, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't be an entrepreneur without a lot of money in the, in, in the education. And I, you know, I can see why that's true in most fields, but I just don't think it should be in education. Yeah. It's interesting too, because there's a, there's a school called the university of Austin. They're, they're trying to start. It's a proposed liberal arts college where they're going to really double down on the, the, the uh, on-ground experience of liberal arts, and they're trying to raise millions and millions of dollars because, <clears throat> excuse me, they have to go through all those processes as, as well. Um, and it's difficult. Well, you know, Ken, as you know, at the Edup Experience, we like to end our episodes with the same two questions to every guest. Number one, Ken, what did we miss about Paralandra College that you would like to talk about today? Anything you want to say? And then secondarily to that, what do you see as the future of higher education? Well, I'll tell you what, if it, I would, I would like to say is that uh, if if I haven't made any sense today or if uh, if anybody is interested in what I think more than that, I have a, a Substack blog. It's called Rats in the Ivory Tower. Um, so that's fairly easy to remember. And and I would encourage people to come onto that and I would be happy to expand on some of this stuff because all of it to me is you know, is, is very complex issues and, and I'm not very good at, at explaining it in sound bites. So I, I know I think that we did I, a pretty good job. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And what do you see as the future of higher education, Ken? Well, I think, I, th I just, I truly, I think it has deteriorated a lot since I, when I, when I went to, um, I went to San Diego State University and I had a very good friend who became a very good friend later when I was there as an advisor. And he um, was telling me he was a history professor. He's my favorite history professor. And he was telling me that uh, he, um, he and everybody in his department, in the history department, they required about half as much work as they had when I went there. And I think that has become, you know, very, very common. I think that a lot of the, the uh, education has gotten downgraded because Colleges have become much more vocational and also much more um, um, dependent upon on uh, sort of consumer behavior. When I when I was in college, professors were extraordinarily respected, probably more than they should have been, no doubt more than they should have been. But it, since then, it's become it's become almost a joke the profession because so many of the people are adjuncts and so on. And so I, I think there are a lot of problems that need to be solved. And I, I have great hopes for the future of higher education, but I, I have a lot of, a lot of qualms also. Hmm, interesting. Well, I really appreciate you coming on the show today, Ken. And, and of course, uh, first, uh, before we close out the episode completely, I do want to thank my guest co-host today. Here he is. Jeffrey Roche, what's going on, Jeff? Um, did you enjoy your Edip Experience co-hosting gig today? Absolutely, it's a lot of fun. Well, I um, I appreciate how good you are on the microphone, my friends. That means you're going to be invited back to come and co-host with me again. Not be well, I I'll, it has nothing to do with the actual microphone skills, but I but I like having you around. So we're going to do this together again, hopefully. Looking forward to it. Any time with you, Joe. All right, and then of course my guest today. Here he is. Oh, he gets the applause this time. Ken Culkin, he's hey. president of Paralandra College. Ken, thanks so much for coming on the Edip Experience. You're quite welcome. I thank you for having me again. Ladies and gentlemen, you just ed up. <laughs> <laughs>